We have these Old Testament passages in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 25, verse 6 and 7 and 8, literally talking about there's, there's, a, there's a cap, a covering that's cast over the entire world. And I'm actually going to destroy it. I'm going to break it off. I will actually swallow up death and the rebuke of the people. And all these prophecies that were so obscure in the Old Testament, we've come to realize were all fulfilled by the Lord Jesus and what he was planning and what he was going to do. But we understand also that cap and that veil, that word veil is very practical for all of us too, yeah. The veil that was ripped from top to bottom, the separation between man and God that only the high priest could go past once a year. But the veil and the cap of all people that was instilled as soon as Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the, fall, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. And their punishment was that that veil was going to be set between them, the spirit realm, heaven on earth, and the practical natural realm. God was saying, hey, I'm going to do something that's going to reverse all of that. And when you back up there and you look at Isaiah 22, 22 that talks about this king whose name literally means resurrection, was going to show up, and I'm going to place the key of David upon his shoulder, and he will open something that no man is capable of opening. And he will shut something that no man is capable of, of undoing. And we see that these prophecies, they all flow and go together, speaking of the reversal of what came in through the fall in Genesis. And we understand, if you just read Genesis 3, right, they've eaten the tree of the the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that veil has actually come in, which is really over their minds. They're expelled from the east side of Eden, and there's an angel or a cherubim with a flaming sword that's stationed there that no man will ever be able to enter in again. Something that's irreversible. Except when we find the prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 22, it's like he's going to have a key on his shoulder that will, will be able to undo the irreversible. And not only that, on this mountain, the mountain of Jerusalem, where Jesus was to be crucified, I'm going to actually destroy the veil and the cap that's set over all people in the fall. And the cap that mankind went for, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, was the ability to judge, thinking that it would give us power, when in reality it completely capped us from the supernatural and the spirit realm, from walking in the spirit with God from actually releasing the light and life of the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go. And now Jesus has paid away. It's interesting, one of the heaviest burdens we can have is the burden to criticize and judge people. But it's wild because we think that it's an empowerment of ours to be critical, like it separates us, you know what I mean? But that's the poison of the fall, the very thing Jesus come to reverse. And I've always loved that that scripture of the key of David being laid upon his shoulder because the only thing that the scripture mentions of being laid upon the shoulder of the Lord Jesus was very heavy piece of wood. You know what I mean? And it was the cross. If you, know, if you didn't catch the very heavy piece of wood there, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the cross itself was the most unlikely source of victory. It looked like utter and utmost failure. And he took that key upon his shoulder where the, the separation of the mindsets of man, like the, the fall had like gripped every single bit of our thoughts, you know, 
Colossians says we were once separated and enemies in our mind. We weren't really separated from him. He never left us. But it's like he took that key of David upon his shoulder and he gripped it. And he walked it. And he had help. And he literally, or his, his servants did, the Roman soldiers, literally placed that key into Golgotha, the very skull. You know what I'm saying? Which, which was a prophetic picture of the mind of mankind, of fallen man. And that key of David went into that skull and it unlocks the mindsets of the fall from us. The, the thoughts of judgment and criticism, depression, lust, perversion, anger, rage, all the fruits of the flesh which actually you know, come through the mindsets of Adam has come to unlock those things. And he, and, he, and he shouts for us all to see, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He has this completely different mindset. We've been poisoned to think God's a certain way. And he comes and he shows us he's completely different than we had thought. And what we had thought was all influenced by that poison. And he comes and he walks around. I was reading this week. Um, and he was sitting with um, sinners all the time. What was called sinners, tax collectors, heathens, you know. And the Pharisees, let's see, uh, Luke 15, that's where I was going to start, would actually get chapped about it because all the tax collectors and sinners would draw near to him and he'd eat at their houses and stuff like that. And they'd say, this, this man receives sinners and eats with them all the time. So he speaks this parable to him of like, hey, you have this mindset of judgment that, that causes you to think you're better than these people and God would reject people. But we know because we've read it into the book, that was actually God sitting with those people. And not rejecting them. He gives, the, he gives the, uh, the parable, which one of you have an 100 sheep if he loses one, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness, the song, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays, his on, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And he comes home and he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he throws a huge party over it. And it's this big deal. Now, earlier I said something that was um, theologically inaccurate, and I'm going to correct it, but I meant to. Um, and that was, there's no record of him ever laying anything on his shoulder, the key of David, other than the cross, which was the key of David, which it is. But here we have one other thing about the good shepherd. He said, which one of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one, doesn't go leave the 91 in the wilderness and actually go until he finds the one. And when he has found it, he lays it upon his shoulder rejoicing. And I thought, and I was looking at that scripture this week, and man, this is one of those um, meditations for me, which I had trouble getting past. It was literally a little over a week ago and just revisiting because I see what Jesus is saying and he knew where he was going and he knew what was going to happen in his life. He knew he had the key of David, which, of course, everybody in the world or all the Old Testament scholars, which all the demons and, or, or all the principalities and powers were, t were scholars as well, because they were looking into these things, trying to figure it out what the key of David would be. You know what I'm saying? What was going to destroy the cap over the world, the fall. And it's just like what it was, no one saw, but it was the actual love of God. And it was the cross. And it was that sheep that he threw over his shoulder. And he threw it over his shoulder and he was rejoicing as he did. I've heard people say the, sheep, the shepherd carries the staff so he could break the sheep's leg if it gets out of line. And he binds and so he can heal. You know, they give that verse and then it'll learn its lesson next time it won't step out of line. I was literally taught that. 
Seriously. That's not, I see some head nods. Yeah, you've heard this before. People think this way. But it is the poison of the fall. You know. But Jesus, like, when you find the one, you're not so ticked off. I get mad when my dog runs away. Kwame runs off sometimes, and it makes me really, really mad. I mean, I don't kick him or anything, but I kind of, I, I kind of want to. Um, <laughs> but Jesus finds it and actually puts it on his shoulders and starts rejoicing. You know what I mean? And it's beautiful, as I was watching this vision, as I was watching this thing that he was saying, and we're, we're talking about, even like Hebrews 2 says, when we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I thought, man, he endured, for the joy that set before him was, he endured the cross, like the most terrible way to die. But I see that, and I see this rejoicing of having the, the, the lamb on his shoulders that was lost, and, I, and it's like he's petting that thing. He's like, I've got you. And it was gripping me. And I was seeing him hold the cross on his shoulder, which was the lamb as well. And he's holding that wood, that splintery heavy wood, just bleeding out, you know, just beat, beat to unrecognizable. But he's petting that thing, that wood, for all of us, you know. He's like, I got you, buddy. We're almost done. We're thinking that poor old boy, he's getting so beat. He's getting so torn up. He's, he's caressing that cross like, I'm almost done. I've almost got you, buddy. For the joy that was set before him, he was going to go endure the grueling part of being hung up on it. But it was just like, he's telling us, like, don't, there's nothing you have to do. You're over my shoulder. I'm going to get you up. They might have to call Siren to, you know, Simon to help me load this bad boy up the hill. You know what I mean? But I've got you, and they, they don't even see it coming, and I'm recovering you all. And this is the Father's heart. Isn't that so beautiful? You see this, you are able to prophesy. Because here's the Pharisees saying something's wrong with him because of who he's around. He's not religious enough. He's not spiritual. You know, he's not. Look who he's around. Because they were poisoned with a fall. And he says, hey, listen. The good shepherd will go get the sheep and throw it on his shoulder for the joy that's set before him. You know, he'll throw a party over it. Like, you don't understand, I'm here to rescue all of them, and you as well, you know. And so I'm just watching it like a movie. I'd keep kind of just go back for a while, ch choke up, then I'd go back and just look at it again, and I'd just imagine him knowing what he was doing that whole time, gripping that cross, and be like, I've got you, buddy, you know. And we're religious, we're trying to do things to earn stuff, <laughs> and it's just like so dumb, so foolish and against all that he's done, you know, because Jesus has actually paid for the entire thing with us. And we're still skittish around. I'm like, is, am I cool to come pray with you today, God? I know I've been kind of a... You know what I'm saying? We're still under those effects of the fall as if he's going to turn and we're going to be the one he gets mad at and smacks. And he's carried us the whole entire time. He's like, I've got you, girl. You know, he's got you on his shoulder, the very key of David. It was like, it was, it, it was, it was so brilliant. And then you see John, the only disciple that sees him on that last, breathing his last breath. When he says it is finished, he's like, Done. I've got, all my, I've got all my family with me again. I have you all again. I did it all. Well, now what do we have to do? Just change your mind. Just repent and then be immersed in this. That's what they said in Acts. Like, what must we do? What works must we do? Something religious, right? Like, no. Peter says, just repent and be baptized. Well, that's a religion. Like, no, that's, that is a ritual and we do those things. But it's like, it's like be immersed in the reality of who God is. Be born again. Have a reset in your mind 
And every time your mind tries to exalt itself and bring in thoughts that, 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 that contradict this reality, take them captive because this is your reality. Amen. And this is Christianity. And Jesus sits down with these, I could probably read that little sentence over, over and over again today, but I will not. Um, but it's like, here he is telling the Pharisees or like, who are like, why are you around them? They're garbage. It's just like these, I'm rescuing them and I'm rescuing you. And none of you are better than the other. You know, I'm here for everyone. It's nothing any of you, you're all completely incapable. But the key, David was on his shoulder like no man could open, no man could shut. What he was going to do was, 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 well, he was the only one that could, you know. And then he goes and he tells them that story. And then he goes in verse 11 and he talks about the man with two sons. The prodigal son, as people will say it in, in Luke 15. The younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of my goods that falls to me. So he gave them, um, he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and he went to a far country and he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And after he had spent all his money, partying and acting wild and crazy, prodigal living, that's what that's going on there. Um, there was a severe famine in that land and he began to be at want. He went and he joined himself to a citizen of that cu country and he sent him into his fields to feed his pigs and his swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. It's like, golly, that's a depraved person. But verse 17 is beautiful because it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. This is Jesus's story, real. This is the word of God. This is, this is Yahweh embodied. This is the all-knowing. And he, and he judges him here, or doesn't, should I say. But when he came to himself, that sentence is underlined in my Bible. That saying means he had been out of his mind. When he came out of a deranged state, he said to himself, it just dawned on him. My father's servants have, you know, I, why am I not, you know? So even just that little Easter egg there, it's like, here's this guy, prodigal li living, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He's all these things. He's going all this thing. He wants from me, 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 me. You know what I'm saying? But there's an Easter egg in there that says like, yeah, but that wasn't really him. That was him of a deranged mind. You know? He wasn't himself in those decisions. It's like, well, yes, he was. He's a grown up, knows what he's doing. He's responsible for it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get, it's like, he really was not himself there. And he was trying to get to these Pharisees like, you're not yourselves. The people you're hating on, they're not themselves. The poison as sin entered through the entire world. So has the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Through one man's righteousness has actually touched the entire world. So it's like sin has actually creeped into the identity of what a human being is. Like they're born into this lineage of fallen nature. They've taken on an image that's not their identity, but they've taken on an identity that was never theirs to take on. And they're deranged. And you're angry at them and you're judging them for me sitting them with them at my dinner tables, you know what I mean? But you are, you are under the same poison of, of the same fruit of the same tree. So I love this because the guy, he comes to himself and he just thinks about his father's house. And he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Verse 18, I would call this the plan, the religious plan. I've messed up. 
how can I become religious again enough <laughs> for God to accept me, you know? And he said, this is what I'm going to say. So this is his script in verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me one of your hired servants. It's like, yeah, that's what I'll tell him. I'm no, like, hey, you don't have to punish me. I'll punish myself. I'm going to downgrade myself into a servant and I'll just serve and bless God. Amen. You know what I mean? You know, it's like, I'm a pastor. So I see that. So, you know, people, you know, oh, I've been naughty. It's like, oh, let me get, let me get involved in service. You know what I mean? It's like this religious mentality that he's got a script that he's coming. He's got God figured out and, or the, his father, let's, let's parenthesize that. And, and he's going to go back to his dad and tell his dad, okay, I've got my own punishment established. It's that I'm not going to be a son anymore. I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to work for you, but at least I'll be fed. Uh, is, is that a deal? You know? Again, another aspect, not the prodigal side, but now he's speaking to those religious guys, another aspect of the poison of that fall. Thinking, I've got a work plan in order to get myself back in. Yeah. And he arose and he came to his father. While he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. So his father sees him on the way. And he runs and he falls on his neck and he kisses him. You know, I, I love the picture, like, you know what I'm saying? When somebody hugs you, that's one thing. When they put the face to the neck, that's a whole nother, like, oh, aspect of love. I mean, don't do that to me later. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, you know, unless it's real, you know what I mean? Don't give me that little religious weird face to the neck thing, please. Um, uh, so, yeah, so he comes and he falls on his neck and he kisses him and, and he hugs him. And, and, and it's this beautiful thing. And the son says something. Father, he confesses, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no lo-, and then he pulls the script out. I'm no, longer to be call- I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he gets to, the, to point B of the script, which is make me one, because that's what he said. I'm no longer your son. Make me a hard servant. That's the script, right? As soon as he says, I'm no longer to be called your son, I'd imagine he's winding up, like <gasps> taking the breath in before he loads into part script. It says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his hand. Put sandals on his feet. Like before he gets to even say his punishments, it's like his dad doesn't even acknowledge like, yeah, you're just being religious. You're my son. You know what I mean? It's like he doesn't even acknowledge the rules that the son is trying to impose on the father back upon himself, which is like your religion is trash to me. It doesn't, it's, it's not even trash. It doesn't even exist. So like you can't even be religious to him because it just comes and it's just like, yeah. So anyways, grab him a robe, get him a ring, bring the best robe, bring the fatted calf for this, my son. Yeah was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to be married. So beautiful. It's like, yeah, dad, I'm not a bird of song. Yeah, it's okay. So yeah, get the, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes. My son is back. It's like, didn't you hear me? I, I told you not to call me. You know, it's like, ah, put that away. That doesn't work around here. And he came and he drew near the house. Now the elder son was in the field Hey, now, this is, this is the zinger because he's telling us the Pharisees. And he came and he heard the music and he heard the dancing. That doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like Christian music. <laughs> you know, he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, one of the servants like, dude, your brother's come home. 
Dude is my word. Your brother's come home, and because he's received him safe and sound, your father's killed a fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded him, pleaded with him. I have that underlined as well. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, talking to the Pharisees. I've never transgressed your commandments at any time. You never gave me no goats that I could, you know, make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who's devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. He said, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. There's something else about that separation. There was no separation and there is no separation. Colossians says that. Yeah. We were once alienated, separated, and enemies in our minds by wicked works. In our minds is the key phrase there. Yeah. Son, you're always with me. What do you mean I'm always with you? We're living this righteous life so that we get to go be with you when we die. It's like, no, like that's, the, that's the mistake you've had. You've been with me the entire time. You're always with me. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother is dead. I'm sorry, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And it's just like this beautiful picture, this very interesting picture of Jesus coming to the Pharisees and saying, hey, your judgment of your son, of, of your brother, causes you not to even see these people as your brothers. It's like we can, we can feel that we're empowered when, when, we're, when we are of the critical mind, the mind of criticism and judgment, we have actually taken the fruit, the poison really, of the fall. The fall, which was religion, the knowledge of good and evil, because we've thought that it made us powerful to separate us from people. But that's exactly what it's done. It causes us to live a life separate and actually not have real, valuable, fruitful, Christ-centered relationships that breed more life. It causes us to be isolated. And in reality, the opposite was true. It's like he's telling the older son, it's like, listen, because of that poison, you're over talking about this son of yours came home. And it's like, no, 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 this is your brother, man. And you're unable to see it. And so here he is sitting with these guys who are mad at him for, for sitting with people that they have judged as unworthy. And Jesus is actually redeeming both sides of the fence. He's with the sinners who are lost. He's with the, you know, both, you know, and we think, well, that sinner, well, you just got to tell him to come back home or, or else he's going to go to hell. You know, that prodigal is about to... It's like, dude, the prodigal was in hell. My son was dead and now he's alive. Like the prodigal was living in torment. He was eating pig slop. He was absolutely miserable because of his decisions. He was in hell. You know, he was, he was feeling this way. And he's telling the Pharisees, these guys are living in complete torment. You see them as sinners in your judgment, but they need me, you know. And I've been with you the whole time too. You know, And if you want to even make this about heaven and hell, the guy comes back, repents, he actually gets the robe, gets, the, gets the, the mandals, the sandals, the rings, he gets the party, he gets the fatted calf, he gets all those things. And the son who was, I'll say in fingerprints, he's uh, righteous, 
actually leaves the party, and he's the one left outside at the end of the story. What did Jesus say in John, what is it, John 3? He said, this is the condemnation that the light has manifested, but men would not come to it for they love their darkness more than the light. So is Jesus grabbing people by the hair and throwing them into hell, hellfire? No. He's meeting people in the hell that they're living, seeing them without judgment in the state that they're in, as like they don't know what they're doing. They just need to come back to their right selves. Yeah. But you also have the Pharisee who's like, he's like, hey, we're celebrating the redemption the recovery of the lost. Come on into the party. And it's like, you know what? I'd rather do it my own way. And so they step out of the party. So what's hell? Sounds like hell is very much a decision that people have to make. But does that mean now the, now the religious people, now they're, now they're outside of the party? Man, if this is an eternal party, this is a bad, bad scenario. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now they're, they're, but they've let themselves out. But where's the dad at at the end of the story? He's out of the party too. And look where he's at. His father came out and pleaded with him. The story ends with, with the good father actually, who the, the young, son, young son's redeemed. Now he's with the older son. Well, I think he's the older son, but the other son, the religious one, and he's outside of the party pleading with him. Pleading, it says. He came out and pleaded with him. Like, look at what you're in. Look where you're at. Look what's going on here, man. Now, you know, how do you think the Pharisees reacted to that? Well, it doesn't say right there. But I will say that looking back into what Jesus has done and looking back to these Old Testament prophecies, we sang a song, the first song, about God being good, like pretty much, and even the increasing goodness of God in our lives to those, who understand, you know, to those who follow Him. And it's so very true. But we look back into these Old Testament prophecies and we see what was going on. It was like the key of David was something Jesus was carrying to redeem the entire thing. And unlocked the world from this very poison which he was actually very much going into, really speaking into in these Pharisees' life the poison that caused them to want to judge and criticize and condemn people. And he was doing away with it. He, had, he himself had nothing to do with it, but he was also making, bringing complete light to it so we could see what an incredible burden that is for us to carry. And just like we always say, it's like a life scripture, that 2 Corinthians 3.18, when we see him without a veil over our face, which the veil is like a dimmer, a, a, a way of seeing God that causes a misconception. We're not actually seeing what's there. We're seeing the veil. So we're seeing through some weird grid or filter. But when we see with those things removed, 2 Corinthians 3, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And many a times, being able to sit and watch this, him having this conversation with them, him having... Having this with the knowledge in his mind that like, look, y'all, like the good shepherd goes after the one that is lost and he throws a party when he, when he finds it. 
He throws it over his shoulder. And understanding the love of God and the extent that God has gone to to redeem us, his value and his love for each and every one of us on an individual basis actually is the purge of that poison. It's the purge of that judgment. It's the purge of that criticism. And it causes us to be free of it. And then we are the agents of this new covenant who speak the life and the light and the love and the redemption that don't see people in their state, but they see people, even if they're in a straight prodigal life, we see them in a completely deranged state. It's like, hey, they're just, that's not really them. That's not the real them. I think last week's assignment, right? I don't know, did anybody get to, get to put that one into practice? Was to allow none on the wholesome word. It was, like, it was like to be completely free from critical thinking of others. I don't see a lot of heads. I see a couple heads not. I see a few, yeah. Uh-huh. That's, a fun, that's a fun little assignment. But that, that assignment, this is, a, this is a secret, okay? But that assignment is actually just practicing Christianity. I know. But I thought I was doing some. But I thought I was getting to finally do some works. Nope, nope. Still not works. It's just the process of the renewed mind. Yeah, it is. It's the, it's the process of taking every thought captive and actually seeing what the Lord has done in everybody, even before it happens, and speaking into that reality. Yeah, it's very true. The young son stayed home, but he was with his dad the whole time and didn't realize it. The other one had uh, went off. They had the destination addiction. That's what they call that, you know. When I, when I go there, then it'll break through for me. It's like, no, 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 no. The father's heart is what causes everything to break through for you. Receive that, and then everything will break through for you. It might cause you to go there, but the destination ain't going to do it. It's a beautiful thing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your beautiful heart, the manifestation of our Father's heart to us, the key of David that unlocks our minds to see how you see, that you've destroyed the cap over all nations. You've swallowed up death, and we do not any longer have to place those caps individually upon ourselves. Help us to have the wisdom of an enlightened mind to understand what you've paid for in your love for us so that we will be free from criticism, slander and judgments and gossips and these things. But our minds will have the open heaven vision to speak life to those who are walking dead and bring them back.